Good morning. Well, last week, Peter began a new series on knowing God and spoke about the supreme authority of God the Father and God the Father's great desire for intimacy with all of us as his children. And this week, we're going to look again at God the Father's heart where we'll find God the Father's eternal plans. Yeah. God has revealed his plans to us. It's really amazing that Almighty God, creator of the universe, has revealed his eternal plans with little old us. But that's the truth. And it's a huge comfort that Jesus Christ is right at the center of those plans. But God's heartfelt desire is that Jesus Christ also be at the very center of our lives. God has graciously let us in on these eternal plans so that we'll be left wanting more and more of Jesus. So that we'll cry out like the Apostle Paul did in Philippians when he said, that I may know him. He was so eager to be closer to God, more intimate with God. We're so limited in our capacity to comprehend an infinite God, but God is able to help us to comprehend spiritual realities and to give us revelation so that we can actually know God and know his ultimate plans for the ages in which Jesus Christ is at the center. So let's pray. Father, this is quite an amazing thing to to consider that you've Let us in on your plans, eternal plans, plans you've had for ages past. And yet, Lord, our understanding is limited. Sometimes we feel foggy. Sometimes circumstances seem to be in tension with what we hear you saying about your plans. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to grow in our understanding of what you're doing in our lives and in this world. You'd help us to grow closer to you as you reveal Jesus to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The two verses I want to focus on this morning are found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. But I'm just going to pick two verses out of those, verses 9 and 10. And I want to begin, before we look at verses 9 and 10, by looking at verses 3 to 14, the, the, the passage those verses are found in, because it's one long flow of thought. In fact, one singular flow of thought. In the Greek, verses 3 to 14 are just one sentence. One sentence for those, all those verses. And there's a rhythmic pattern to those, to those verses, those three, verses 3 to 14, leading uh, theologians to believe that this was a hymn that Paul introduced to the early churches that would have been sung in the early church because of that rhythmic pattern that's, a, that's, that's obvious in the Greek language, but that's kind of lost in the English. Writer and theologian John Stott quotes some of the writers who have described this glorious opening hymn at the beginning of Ephesians. They've called it a magnificent gateway, a golden chain of links, a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors, and a rhapsodic Adoration. Wow. 
Well, so rather than reading this passage in some of the more popular translations, I've gone to an interlinear Bible where you find the Greek and the English uh, side by side, and I'm going to read it from that translation because the interlinear translation is probably about as literal as you can get. And so I've had to add a couple words just to, you know, make, make, make sure it makes sense to us in English. But in Greek, this is 202 Greek words all making up one sentence that'll appear behind me. And I'm going to just read it, but I'm going to have to take a breath at some point in the middle. (laughs) Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him, in love having predestined us for the divine adoption as sons, Through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his pleasure, which he purposed in him for the administration of the fullness of the times, to bring together all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth, in whom we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, all things working according to the counsel of his will, so that we would be to the praise of his glory, the ones having first trusted in Christ, in whom you also, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the acquired possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Are there any songwriters in our midst who would like to put that to music? You know, Mary, you could give that a shot. I guess this illustrates why shorter sentences make things easier to understand. So, in the NIV... they've taken that single sentence and made it into eight sentences. And I'd like to read it together, all of us out loud together, uh, from the New International Version, which is going to appear on the screen. So let's, let's read this together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. This passage touches on so many precious themes, all of them interconnected, taking the readers to greater and greater spiritual heights of what God is up to in this world and in our lives. And I wish we could camp here for weeks. But I want to zoom in today on on a foundational theme that's right in the middle of this hymn, which is that I believe is the focal point of Paul's thoughts in this passage. We're going to take a closer look at verses 9 and 10. And I'm going to ask for those to appear on the screen in the version we just read from the interlinear Bible. So... There it is. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his pleasure, which he purposed in him for the administration of the fullness of times, to bring together all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. There's a lot to digest in that, those two little verses. So I'm going to break it up into three segments. The mystery of his will, purposed in him for the administration of of the fullness of times and to bring together all things in Christ. Those are the three thoughts that we're going to be examining one at a time. But when you put all three of them together, I believe that what we discover is God delights in his plan to bring all things around Jesus to line up with his will. He delights in it bringing all things around Jesus, including our lives, to line up with his will. And as we read chapter chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, we might mistakenly get the impression that the focus is on us. Because, listen, when you read it, you see that God blesses us, God chooses us, God predestines us, he adopts us, he lavishly bestows the riches of his grace on us, He redeems us, he forgives us, he grants us a spiritual inheritance, and he seals us in the Holy Spirit. This is often how it's read and and interpreted in the church today, where we just focus on all these many promises that are for us, and that's what we get out of this passage. But for Paul, all of those blessings revolve around God's plan for the fullness of time when God is going to bring all things together together. In Christ. You may remember a guy from about the 16th century named uh, Nicholas Copernicus. And Copernicus discovered that all the planets in our solar system actually revolve around the sun. Before that, Christians and much of the world believed that the earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around the earth. Well, there are even Christians today who believe that. God blessing us is the center of God's plans. They believe that. 
And what Paul is telling us here is that Jesus being exalted above all things is at the center of God's plans, including our lives. Take a look at this image. I call this the solar system of God's blessings. Okay? There's, there's, I included Pluto in this solar system, okay? Because I happen to have grown up in the days when Pluto was a planet, so it's always going to be a planet to me. So in this passage, Mercury there represents God blessing us. And then you see Venus, God chooses us, and Earth, God predestines us, and Mars, he adopts us, and then Jupiter, the biggest planet, lavishly bestows the riches of his grace on us. And then Saturn, he redeems us. And Uranus, he forgives us. And Neptune, he grants us a spiritual inheritance. And thank God for Pluto, he seals us in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? That's the solar system of God's blessings. But at the center of it all, what's at the center of it all? God's plan for the fullness of time when he will bring together all things in Christ. And that's what he's up to today. That's what he's doing now. And it's, he's, it, it isn't complete yet. But all those things that are not yet are one day going to be fulfilled. So, let's look more closely at that glowing central focus of Jesus Christ being at the center. The mist, it all starts, it all starts with mystery with an age-old mystery. For centuries, prophets of the Old Testament talked about the anointed one. In Hebrew, that, they were talking about the Messiah. Uh, they, would, they said he would come as a liberator. They said he'd come as a savior, a king from the line of David. But the Jewish people really didn't understand how those prophecies would be fulfilled. They may have thought they knew how they'd recognize the anointed one, but they truly had no idea. And that's why they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. Paul described it as a mystery. But it's important to realize that in Paul's days, the Greek word mysterion didn't represent something that was difficult to figure out, but that you could somehow deduce, kind of like Sherlock Holmes. The word mysterion in the Greek actually meant something that was literally impossible to figure out. Impossible without God's help. It's not something you could work at and figure out. It's something you needed God for in order to understand. When I was training to go to Sudan, I lived in a town, a small town north of Toronto in Stolville, where there was a, the guys had a dorm. And in the dorm, there were curtain rods, not curtain rods, like clothes hanging rods that were hung by wires from the ceiling. And we'd hang our clothes on that. And those clothes served as walls between beds. So it wasn't all that private, but it was just a guy's dorm. You know, we were okay with that. And so there was about, I don't know, 10 guys that were all planning on going to different parts of the world while I was training there. And these pipes were sort of, if you can imagine, one pipe would be uh, sort of pretty close to the wall where there were windows all along, lots of windows all along the wall. And the other pipe extended perpendicular to the wall into the center of the room. And there was a center aisle. And there'd be pipes going that way and pipes going that way. Well, there was this guy sitting on his bed. And 
I didn't even think anything of this. I, I, there, there was no plan in this. But I just walked up to the pipe that was behind his head, sort of where his clothes were hanging behind him, and I put my mouth to the end of the pipe, and I went... <laughs> I'd made that sound with your lips. Well, it's amplified as it travels through that pipe, and it comes out the other end where there's, there's an open window with a screen, and the sound just is just amplified outside. And my friend who's sitting on the bed, his head immediately jerks in the direction of the window instead of in my direction. I'm the one who made the noise, but he heard it on the opposite end of the pipe. And he goes, what was that? And I stepped away from the pipe and I said, I don't know. What was that? So we left it at that. The next night I did it again. This time he says, there's something out there. And he goes running out into the darkness. And he came back. He said he couldn't find anything. Well, we kept this going for weeks. And he got us organized. He said, okay, next time that happens, you go out that door, you go out there. And he just had us all going in different directions. And we, everybody knew except him where this noise was coming from. One night he said, we can't find this guy. I know what I'm going to do. Every night around the same time this happens, I'm going up on the roof. He sat up on the roof for like an hour. There was no sound that night. He never heard the sound. He came back down saying, shoot, he must have seen me up there. Who is it that's out there? So anyway, he couldn't figure it out. He could not figure it out. His mind had been trained to think a certain way, the way the Hebrew people had been trained to think, to think a certain way about the Messiah. They couldn't think otherwise. That's just how they were thinking. So every time he heard that sound, he looked toward the window instead of toward me. So of course... I'll give you the end of the story. We told him. And he just about strangled me. <laughs> so for us to understand God's truth, we need God's help. Just like my friend needed my help to understand what that noise was. Um, and that's why it would have been so exciting for the Ephesians when Paul wrote, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. He's made known the mystery that would be impossible to know unless he made it known. So that word mystery should, first of all, cause us great humility regarding the immense limitations of our earthly perspective. But it should also cause us great excitement that God wants to give us spiritual understanding, to give us revelation. Because the fact is, we have absolutely no means, no natural mean, means for figuring out God or his will or his ways. We can't do it without his help. It's like not having the tools to do a job. When I finally did get to Sudan, there was this time um, my friend Michael, who is a Sudanese guy from South Sudan, he had to go to Khartoum. We were living out in a desert village, a good two days drive across roadless deserts. And, uh, to get to Khartoum. And so he took off one morning with a car loaded with some other people from the village who needed to get to Khartoum. And we figured, okay, he's good. And he'd done this many times. Michael grew up in Sudan. So anyway, one day I'm in the kitchen. We can call it a kitchen. And this person knocked on the door, our compound door. And I go to the compound door and I open it up and and I, that's what I see. I see a camel sitting there, and there's a man standing at the door. And he says, um, 
your friend is stuck out in the desert. And he sent me to get help. You see, what had happened was his, his Land Rover had broken down. And, you know, I know Michael. I know he's pretty handy with a hammer and a pair of pliers. But if a transmission goes, those things aren't going to be much help. And that's what had happened. You know, he usually carried a few rudimentary tools in his, in his kit. But he, didn't, he couldn't fix a transmission. He didn't have the tools to do a job. And he needed help. That's how we are spiritually. And, yes, we helped Michael, and he's okay. Um, But in order to truly grasp the magnificent mysteries of God, we need to admit that we we have absolutely nothing in and of ourselves to unlock the truths of God's kingdom. We need God to give us insight. And so let's be encouraged. Paul wrote in another book, he was pleased, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And he still takes pleasure today revealing his son to people. God wants to reveal mysteries to us, but he wants us to come in humble dependence on him to understand. The evangelist T. Austin Sparks noted that the apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians had also one previously been a Pharisee who thought he knew everything about the Messiah. He thought he had perfect understanding. And he was so convinced of his understanding, he was prepared to kill people who disagreed with him regarding who Jesus was. But then Sparks writes that Paul realized he was utterly blind, utterly ignorant, utterly helpless, altogether ruled out, and needing the grace of God for the very first glimmer of light to come down very low and say it was the good pleasure of God to reveal his son to me. That is grace. This same Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians that everything on his Pharisee resume, he now considered a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. He didn't look to his own human capacities anymore, but depended on God. Are we prepared to acknowledge how dependent we are on God, how much we need the Holy Spirit just to understand the Bible when we open it up in the morning. How many of us, when we, when we read our Bibles on a regular basis, I hope you're reading your Bible on a regular basis because it's spiritual food for our souls. How many of us open them assuming, yeah, I'm going to get this? I, I do. There are times I just open my Bible and I just get to it. I got things to do today. And so I just start reading. And that there are other times where before I start reading, I say, Lord, I really need you to help me understand what you want to say to me through your word today. Bring it alive to me. Make it relevant to me today. Help me, Lord. And that's how we ought to be approaching God's word because we need him. The encouraging thing is the, the word, the Greek used for will, as in God's will in this passage, is a word that carries a sense of desire and pleasure, even pleasure. It's, it's not a word that's based on reason. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that's based on emotions, like a heart of love that God has for us. And in his heart of love, he eagerly desires to reveal these mysteries to us. So we don't have to beg him 
and plead with him to reveal things. He wants us to. So this helps us to catch the flavor of the hymn. The, the flavor of this hymn is a sense of excitement and joy and sheer delight that God is revealing this mystery to us. This past May was my wife's 50th birthday. I have permission to say that. And I got her a big gift. I'm talking a head-turning big gift. Like I was in the store. I ordered a bedroom suite without her having seen it. Hey, what do you think of that? I'm in the store. And I, I said to the guy, I said, I need this delivered on such and such a time because my wife doesn't even know a I mean, she hasn't even seen it. And when I said that, there was a lady sitting at the desk over there. And her head just went like, like her head moved so fast, it was a blur. And she's looking at me, and I looked at her, and I said, is that okay? And I really meant it when I asked her. I said, is it, am I in trouble? And she goes, no, that's really sweet. But of course, she's the one getting the money, right? So she's going to say that. So anyway, I bought it. It was delivered. Fiona didn't hear it come in. And they took away the old stuff too. And AJ helped me. He got rid of some of the old stuff and took it to his... No, Peter did. Took it to his garage. And um, so I didn't get rid of the old stuff just in case it was being stored. And then the guy said, you know, you can return this. Uh, you know, and I said, really? Even after it's delivered? Yeah, yeah. Can you sign that? Can you... Can you write that and sign it? So he wrote it. I says, I don't see your signature there. Sign it. So, so he signed it. It could be returned. Well, anyway, Fiona comes in, and I had left this uh, from the previous bed that had been there. there, there what do they call those things that hang to the floor from the bed? From, a bed skirt. There's a bed skirt that I'd left lying on the floor. I forgot to remove that. Everything else was perfect. And um, she walks in. And the first thing she sees is the bed skirt on the floor. And I'm downstairs in the living room listening. And she goes, ew. As if to say, what's that doing there, you know? But then she opens the door wider and she sees it all. And she loved it. Hey? I mean, she really loved it. She didn't just say she loved it. You can ask her afterwards. Ask her, did you really love it? Or are you just too nice to not tell Ken? So anyway, yeah. That's, that's, I was more excited about giving that then Fiona was probably about receiving it. I was so eager. And that's how God feels, revealing these mysteries to us. He's more eager than we are. And so he wants us to come and ask and depend on him. Jesus likely felt the same when he said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. He's making things known to us. When we seek him. So when you seek God to hear his voice, know that he delights to answer. And when you ask God to give you direction, know that he's eager to give you that direction. That's why it's so worthwhile studying God's word. So that we hear him through his word. And that's why it's so important to learn how to hear his voice. Which you can do by taking the Hearing God course. I really encourage you if you haven't taken it. to take it. I've taken it more than once. And I've learned stuff each time. And I'm, I've grown in that area. And I'm so grateful. So he's revealed mysteries to us. But then the next phrase is purposed in him for the administration of the fullness of the times. That is such a mouthful. 
What's Paul saying here? The word administration feels so unfeeling. It feels like logistical. Instead of sounding like his sheer delight and excitement that he feels revealing mysteries to us. Well, a Greek lexicon I referred to said that it referred to the management of a household or of household affairs, specifically the management, oversight, administration of others' property. In other words, Paul's use of the word administration can be simplified by saying this. God the Father's will has been set forth in Jesus in that Jesus is working it out on behalf of his Father. This is about God the Father eagerly revealing, eagerly revealing his son Jesus to us as Jesus is called upon to manage and steward his eternal purposes. So the Father is saying, come on, you do this. You manage this purpose, this eternal purpose. And people are going to see who you are. And when they see you, they're going to see me. And they're going to see mysteries revealed. I love how the ESV simply says that God the Father, his his plan for the fullness of time was to be set forth in Christ. It's like God the Father said, I need someone who perfectly represents my desire to have a family from every nation and every generation for all eternity, and I need that someone to make it happen. And it wouldn't have taken the Father a nanosecond. That's a millionth of a second, by the way. To consider what the writer to the Hebrews said when he wrote, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He says, well, I need someone to perfectly represent me and my desire. Jesus can perfectly represent me. That's why the Father chose to set forth his plan for all eternity in Christ. Because Jesus provides the perfect expression of God the Father's heart. It's why Jesus could say to his disciple Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In high school, two of my classmates were twins, identical twins. And I've seen identical twins, and I've seen other identical twins, and some of them are really identical. They probably confuse each other. Like, which one are... Anyway, one day they decided they were going to switch places throughout the entire school day in high school and see who noticed, see which classmates noticed, see which teachers noticed. And of course, they chose a day when there was no tests that the other one had been studying for. So it was, a, it was a safe bet. And so they did this throughout the whole day. So let's just say up here, twin, twin number one on the left came up with a plan. You can see by the look on his face, he's got a plan. So he, he has this plan, and he's going to set forth his plan in Nicholas, the twin on the right, who happens to be the exact imprint of his nature. Actually, he's the exact copy and paste of his nature. Well, the Father's plan is set forth in Christ. So what do we see when we see Christ making the Father's plan come to pass? As Jesus Christ works out that plan, what do we see? Well, we see from Revelation 3.7, that God is holy. The words of the Holy One, the true one, was speaking of Jesus. We see that God is loving. First or John thirteen one, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
He's compassionate. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Uh, he's forgiving. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was powerful. Luke 8, 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. He's wise. Isaiah eleven two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He's servant-hearted. Philippians 2, 7, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He's joyful. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. He's peace-filled. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He's faithful. Revelation 19, 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. That is who the apostle Paul knew Jesus to be and who, was, who Paul had in mind when he said that God's purposes are being set forth in Christ, set forth in a God who is holy, loving, compassionate, forgiving, powerful, wise, servant-hearted, joyful, peace-filled, faithful. That's our God. He's revealing God's plans to us and his plans are consistent with his character that we see revealed there. But let's also look at the context of Ephesians 1, that, that hymn that we, that we sang earlier in the sermon, that, that we see that it actually says that he has blessed us in Christ. He's chosen us in Christ. He's predestined us in Christ. He's adopted us in Christ. He's lavishly bestowed the riches of his grace on us in Christ. He's redeemed us in Christ. He's forgiven us in Christ. Granted us a spiritual inheritance in Christ. Sealed us in the Holy Spirit that Christ promised us. The emphasis isn't us. The emphasis isn't us. It's Christ. And all those different promises, all those different blessings reflect his plans for the ages. This is how Jesus is making it happen. This is how he's administrating God's will. Every blessing in that solar system is in Christ. And that is the truth that Paul highlighted at the very center of this hymn. And it's the phrase that I think Paul would have most wanted to catch our ears. God's plan is to bring together all things in Christ. That is the mystery of his will that God wants to reveal to us. God's plan for the fullness of time is that all things revolve around Jesus and line up with his will. That's his plan. The NIV we read earlier says to unite all things in him. To unite all things in him. The more literal New American Standard says the summing up of all things in Christ. Because the Greek word used there literally means to sum up. In other words, to reveal what history is ultimately adding up to. Remember that solar system? That's what it's coming to. But to really understand what Paul means by this, we need to understand the state of things. Long ago, God created a perfect world in which everything was in harmony. No one or nothing was at odds or in competition with anyone or anything because there was no sin, no one was harming others, nothing was disrupting relationships. It was a beautiful world. 
peace. Then, tragically, sin entered the world as people rejected God's authority and rejected God's instructions. And with sin came all manner of disruption, selfishness, strife, oppression, violence, envy, jealousy, hatred, disunity, greed, wrath, malice, slander, abuse, gossip, and so much more. That's what came when things were disrupted. In just the sixth chapter of the Bible, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Then there's this heartbreaking statement made. I remember my Old Testament professor his voice cracking and him almost crying as he taught on this passage and read this verse. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. God was literally grieved that he'd created us. However, God's story doesn't end there. There comes a point In God's story, when we hear the words, but God, but God. In Ephesians, this passage, this book that we're reading, later on it says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might reveal the, the, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow! God intervened, and in the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, God is bringing all things together in Christ things in heaven and upon the earth, and he wants to correct the devastating damage of sin that's in our lives and in this world and bring us back into a relationship with him. Paul was writing here about Jews and Gentiles being united into one community so that every nation could be included. Paul's also writing here about a future time where it says in another part of the Bible, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. God will unite everything again for himself. All things will bow to Jesus. So the question I have, if there's anyone here who's not yet submitted to Jesus, will you bow now, voluntarily, and be saved from the consequences of being in rebellion against God? Or will you wait until you have to bow by force when you have no choice and suffer the consequences of being separated with God for all eternity? When are you going to bow? Don't wait until it's by force. Because God delights in his plan to bring all things around Jesus. In his heart of love, he wants you to be in a relationship with Jesus for eternity. In his heart's desire 
He chose us so that our lives will revolve around Jesus to line up with his will. But as I conclude now, I'm conscious of the fact that as a person who's already chosen to submit my life to Jesus, what does this mean when there are circumstances in my life that don't line up with God's will, or they don't seem to be lining up with God's will? After all, some things seem to be resistant to God's will. It may be a health issue. It may be financial strain in your life. It may be relational strain in your life. It may be someone who's not following the Lord in your life. It may be you fill in the blank. Things going on in our lives that don't appear to be lined up with Jesus. If this is true, if this is God's will, and we've given our lives to Jesus, why isn't everything lining up? the way he promises. Well, all I can say in response to such tensions between our experience and God's plans for all things to revolve around Jesus and line up with his will is what the Apostle Paul said in that glorious hymn we've been looking at this morning. Remember that solar system. Don't forget the solar system of God's blessings. The best thing that I can do, and I'm going to tell you, Quite honestly, I did this as I prepared this message. There's something going on in my life right now that feels in complete tension to the idea of things, everything being called to line up with Jesus. And I was frustrated with that. I thought, this, just isn't, this isn't even true in my life. How can I teach on this? And the Lord said to me, remember the solar system of blessings that you created there? And that PowerPoint, look at it again. And he said, the best thing you can do in the midst of life's tensions is to thank God that he's blessed me in Christ. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly places in Christ. Thank him that he's chosen me. Chosen me before the foundation of the world. Chosen me and and adopted me and predestined me to be his son. I'm God's son. I'm in his family. He chose me. Like, who who wouldn't be excited about that? And, And to thank him that he's lavishly bestowing the riches of his grace on me. I can thank him for that. There's many examples of that in my life. And to thank him that he's redeemed me and that he's forgiven me because I am forgiven. The blood of Jesus has covered all my sins, every sin of every action or every thought I've done or will do. And he's granted me a spiritual inheritance. Thank you, Lord, that I have an inheritance with Christ. I'm a co-heir with Christ. And that he's sealed me in the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us and helps us in this life. We can thank him for all of those things. And as I acknowledge all those blessings that are only possible because of who Christ is and what he has done, my faith increases to pray for the things that are not yet lined up with his will. I can thank him. When I thank him for those things, that gives me faith to pray for more, Lord. More. Line up. And to pray for God's will to be done. And to pray for God's kingdom to come. And so... Before I preach this message, a couple times now, I've done this. I've just thanked my way through that solar system. It doesn't take long. And then 
I've prayed, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. But, but then as we do that, we need to be prepared to yield to God as he addresses things in our hearts so that everything in our own lives, including our own personal preferences, line up with God's will. Because I've had to do that too. Say, Lord, I, I just submit to your timing in these things. I just submit to you being wiser than me. And I, I just leave this with you. And I, I align my heart with God's heart. Then, then, for every day that God leaves me to represent him in this world, I want to pray, Jesus, Jesus, be the center of my life. So God's plan for you, for his plan to be realized and recognized by you, I encourage you to take these steps. Pray thanksgiving. Lay things before God as you ask his will to be done and kingdom to come. And align your hearts with God's heart. And then name Jesus as the center of your life. When you practice those steps, God's plan begins to be realized in your life. May Jesus be the center of our lives.